Well, thank you again for uh, being with us today. Take your Bible and open to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to uh, cover verses 11 through 16 today. I'll give you just a moment to, uh, to find that. I hope you have your Bible near you. I hope you can uh, open up and read along with us. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul here is writing, starting at verse 11. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in these truths we read about in your word that you have indeed given us Christ who has given us gifts. You've given us your word. You've given us the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers who bring that word to us. You've given us one another that we are not saved to be alone. We are not called into Christ to be separate from one another, but joined together in a body. And even in this time when we are uh, separated geographically, when we are uh, not able to join together as we normally would be yet, we are unified in Christ. We are joined together. And we can contact one another and we can use technology to do that. We can call each other and text and, and, uh, and video chat and do all manner of things. We can pray for one another. We can encourage each other in those ways. So you, you have blessed us and you've given us gifts, great gifts. And Father, this morning I pray that as we open one of those gifts and as we uh, discuss your word and what you have for us here in Ephesians 4. I pray that you would be at work by your spirit, another one of your gifts to us, to grow us up, to mature us, to work in us, forming Christ in us, that we would be conformed more and more to his image. So we ask for your blessing on this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been trying to get a biblical understanding of uh, how to navigate the times that, that we live in, because they seem kind of unusual. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Job's life, and we saw in his life a very strong encouragement and example from his own life of how to trust the Lord even in the midst of disaster and calamity. And we looked at the multiple calamities that he faced in his life and the challenges of how to deal with that. And the end message was that God is God. And He is the all-wise one. 
And Job is not. However great a man Job may have been, however great you may be, God is God and he is all-knowing and you are not. And so we trust him in the midst of that. And so a couple of weeks ago we looked at Job. And then last week we looked at Daniel 3. And we saw the instance, the situation in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were dealing with that crisis of being ordered by the king to bow down to this idolatrous image. And of course, they were uh, religious Jewish boys. They were going to honor God and not Nebuchadnezzar. And so they refused. And they knew that God had it in his power that even though Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, to kill them for uh, their disobedience, they knew that God had the power to stop that. But more than that, not only did he have the power to stop that, but if he chose not to, if he chose to uh, let their execution take place, that still they would honor him, still he would be worthy, that still he would be the one who's in charge. And so we uh, learned quite a bit from looking at Job's life and and looking into Daniel chapter 3 and got some ways to think about our situation and ways to think about uh, calamity in life, whether it's real or it's just potential. Uh, and that brings us to our time. And we're reminded, of course, in light of these things, that God is still at work in our world. He's still on the throne. Nothing has changed. He is still sovereign over history. He is still sovereign over viruses and health and all of those things. He is still perfectly trustworthy. Nothing has changed about him. He knows what is best, and he always does what is best for his children to to form them into Christ, to in, into the image of Christ, that they would be more and more like him. And so God has a good plan. And sometimes that good plan involves our success and good things and comfortable things that we rejoice in. And sometimes his good plan for us is much uh, deeper than that and darker than that and a little bit harder to take sometimes, yet it is still his plan. And so we find peace in knowing Christ. We find peace in knowing that we have peace with God through Christ, that we have comfort even when there is no comfort in this world. And so we learn that Christians shouldn't primarily be concerned with possible calamities or real calamities or uh, with disaster or what we read in the news or hear in the news. We're, we're not concerned primarily with those things. We're concerned primarily on a different plane. And so what we want to look at today is what should we be concerned with as Christians? What should the church be focusing on, whether during normal times or during trying times? Well, that brings us to Ephesians chapter 4. And in this passage, Paul is using the image of a body to describe the church. And the body has different parts and a body is fed in certain ways. The different parts have different functions and different purposes and, and things like that. But he's, he's using this image of a body to describe the church. And I think there are several aspects of this that will be particularly helpful for us in the situations that we are going through right now. And so what I want to look at, first of all, is that God has provided for his church. He has provided for the feeding of his church, regardless of the circumstances. He has fed his church. He has provided for a nourishing, for strengthening of the church. It says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And I call those the word ministers. 
the word ministers, that, that those are the men that God has given to bring the word of God to people, particularly to his church. The apostles, of course, were the 12 who were uh, with Jesus that he named apostles. And then you would add to that number Paul also. And so those are the apostles. Those are the ones who were sent, particularly by Jesus, to take the word into the world, to take the gospel, to speak on Jesus' behalf. And during that uh, New Testament time period, there were also the, the prophets who existed to, uh, to give uh, communication from God to people. As the word of God, the New Testament was still being written. And so that was a, uh, a more common thing during the, that first, uh, first century time period that we had the apostles traveling and speaking and writing and you had the, pro- the prophets who were also uh, speaking on God's behalf in that situation. You had evangelists, emissaries sent uh, to preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Timothy might be one of those, maybe Titus, uh, some other gospels. But those are the ones who bring the gospel to people. Again, we're talking about the word of God going from God to people. And then finally, the shepherds and teachers. And probably the version you're using combines those two together in some way, and it ought to do that. There's a, there's a close relationship here between the shepherds or the pastors and the teachers, that uh, the, the ministry of shepherding, the ministry of pastoring is very closely connected with and possibly even identical with the teaching of God's word. These are the word ministers God has given to us. So he's given his word and he's brought it to us in order to equip the body. And remember, he's using this image of a body. And the body is fed by the word of God brought by these word ministers. But notice, second of all, <clears throat> the word ministers are not the only uh, things mentioned here. He, he mentions secondly in, the, in verse 12, he says these word ministers have a job, and that job is to equip the saints. They're to equip the saints, that they're bringing the word of God to bear in the life of the church, to equip the saints. This is a little bit different maybe than, than uh, some of us have experienced or maybe the way we think about it sometimes. We think about the pastor or the minister is the one who does the ministry and everyone else is the object or the recipients of the ministry. And that's not really the way God has designed it. He says here that, yeah, God has given ministers and their job is to equip the saints, to equip the saints to build up the body. Look at verse 12, the second half to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. <clears throat> so the ministry is done here not, not just by the pastors, not just by the word ministers who are teaching the gospel. The ministry is done by the saints who have been equipped to do so by the word ministers, the pastors and teachers who have brought the word of God into their lives, who have taught them, who have trained them, exhibited for them, but equip them to do the work of ministry. And so in our situation right now, most of you are joining us uh, via live stream. And, and uh, so we have this unusual situation where the pastors are not able to get around to all the people, to minister to all the people. And that might seem a little disturbing. That might seem a little uh, scary to us or unusual but really, it's not God's design that the pastor or the minister get around to all the people. The design here is the primary function of these word ministers is to equip the saints to get around to all the people, to do that ministry. 
And so I'm encouraged when I hear things here at Parkside about people calling one another and, and checking to make sure that, that their needs are met, their physical needs or maybe their emotional needs or relational needs uh, are met. And so we have the church body functioning to minister to itself, having been equipped to do the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. And so God has provided for his church uh, a way to be nourished and a way to be strengthened. And that is the word of God being brought, given to us, being taught to us by word ministers, which then equips the saints to then go out and do the ministry in the body of Christ so that the body is built up. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is look at what some of the characteristics of a built-up church might be. He continues on in verse 13 and says that a a built-up church is united. It's unified. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. There's a, there's a, a unity that a built-up church, a church that has been appropriately equipped and is functioning properly, will be unified, will be drawn together. And first of all, he talks about the unity of faith. He's probably talking about the content of faith, that we are unified in a particular faith, meaning we are Christians. We are unified in what we believe. You see, as we grow, the, the faith that we hold should be becoming more and more clear, more and more certain, so that there is greater and greater unity in our body of what we believe, of what the faith is that we hold to. And that's an aspect of maturity. When I think back to uh, when I was a brand new believer and I was very zealous to share the gospel with people and I was very zealous to tell people what Christianity was about, I I kind of cringe a little bit at some of the things I said because I was an immature believer and I said immature things. I didn't have a mature grasp. I didn't have a solid grasp on what I believed or what Christianity really was all about or, or what the most important aspects of it were. And that's a normal thing for an immature believer. Immature believers do immature things and that's okay. But they mature out of that. They grow out of that. They, they learn and they progress and mature out of that. And, and, and that's an okay process. That's a normal thing that maturity begins at immaturity. But when you talk about an immature church, now you're talking about a church that, that is not real sure what they believe. That they have that aspect of, if you were to ask them what Christianity is about, that you'd get widely divergent descriptions of, of what the faith is or what we believe or what the gospel is, what we teach. And the consequences are much greater for an immature church than for an immature believer. Usually an immature believer has an older believer come alongside them and walk with them as they mature. And in an immature church, we do all that all together, where we grow together and we, and we study God's Word. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I like to tease that we have Bible is our middle name, because we like to preach the Bible. We teach the Bible. We want to focus on that. We want to learn and grow and not be an immature church. And, and Paul says here that we are, to, we are to minister to one another. We are to continue to minister until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Meaning that as we mature as a congregation, we grow more and more sure of what we believe. 
and more and more unified in understanding what it is that we believe. But having a knowledge of the faith, knowing Christian doctrine is not an end in itself. You see, knowing the faith has a purpose. It has a particular content, and that is the knowledge of the Son of God, which is another thing Paul says we are to grow up into a unity of, the knowledge of the Son of God. The content of that faith specifically has to do with knowing Christ, knowing who He is, knowing what He has done, and knowing how to walk with Him. If you pay attention and if you're inquisitive, you probably talk with people who will claim to have a, a great relationship with Christ. They claim to love Him. And yet if you continue to ask them questions, you will find that actually they don't really know who He is. They don't know him from Scripture. They don't know much about him. And that's a scary thing. You have many people that you run into who claim to believe the gospel, but but they can't really tell you for certain what the gospel is, or what exactly it means, or what are the consequences if we don't know the gospel. And so a huge part of the church's mission is to make Christ known. We want to make those things known. Part of our desire, an enormous part of our desire as, as the uh, teaching ministers, as the, the word ministers, as pastors here at Parkside is that we would present not just the Bible, but present the Christ of the Bible so that you would be drawn to him, so that you would love him more and more, so that you would understand him and who he actually is more and more. As a church grows and is built up, it it continues to grow in that knowledge of the Son of God. It continues to be built up around that, how to walk with Christ, who this Christ is, how we can know Him, and what it means to walk with Him. And so this is an aspect of church ministry in general. And when a church is growing, when a church is ministering the way it ought to be, there is a growth in this unity of the knowledge of the Son of God that we, as a group, know Him more and more. We know more and more how to walk with Him. We know more and more what he's done for us and what it means to be called a Christian. A built-up church is unified in its understanding of the faith. And secondly, a built-up church is mature. He continues on in verse 13 and says, Until we attain to mature manhood or unto a complete man. You see, uh, the idea here is, is maturity. It's if you compare someone who is immature to someone who is mature, if you compare uh, a teenager with an adult, you'll see some differences. And the differences, I believe, that are being focused on here are uh, the differences in the sense of being prepared to deal with life in more and more aspects. When you're younger, you've experienced less and you are prepared to deal with fewer aspects of life. When you are older and more mature, you are prepared to deal with larger and more divergent aspects of life. You're prepared to deal with conflict. You're prepared to handle opposition from people, maybe that you weren't when you were when you were younger. You're prepared to handle failure. And maybe even more difficult, you're prepared to handle success. That's an aspect of maturity. You're prepared to handle difficult tasks, things that don't come easily and you have to work and work and work at them. You're prepared to handle those things. A mature person is well-rounded in his abilities and has worked to build himself up in the areas where he doesn't have natural ability. Where he has weakness, he has built himself up. 
Well, a mature church is like that. A mature church can handle success, can handle failure. Opposition from the community doesn't destroy a mature church. And opposition from within the church doesn't disable a mature church. A mature congregation has recognized that it has glaring weaknesses and and it has sought out ways to address those and build itself up and strengthen itself in those areas of weakness. A built-up church is becoming mature. Thirdly, it is full-grown. He continues in verse 13, until we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this is this is slightly different than, than the, the point before. I think the point of maturity has to do with uh, being able to address these different uh, circumstances in life and things like that. But being full grown has to do with size. And I don't mean size as in numbers. It has to do with strength. It has to do with uh, fruit, fruit in your life. A church that has grown into the measure of the stature of fullness to, of Christ has begun to look like Christ. And though any church, of course, is a collection of imperfect people, and it's an imperfect collection of those imperfect and sinful people, nevertheless, a healthy, growing church, a built-up church, is one where its people are becoming more and more like Christ themselves. There's a sense of concern for one another, of love for one another, and a, a willingness to lay down one's life for the sake of a brother or sister in the congregation. We, we come alongside and encourage each other. In a, in a church that is full grown, you see those things happening where there is maturity and encouragement happening in relationship with people. A full grown church has begun to represent Christ well in the community. Witnessing about Jesus, witnessing about the gospel becomes more and more normal as a church becomes more and more full grown. A full-grown church is one that is becoming more and more a fitting bride for Christ. All churches are imperfect. They're filled with imperfect people. But a church that is growing up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is a church that is beginning more and more to love what Jesus loves and to hate what Jesus hates. A full-grown church is becoming fitted for Christ. A full-grown church finally has roots that are buried deep into the soil of the gospel. Buried deep down, understanding and dwelling upon and thinking about the gospel and then bearing fruit in the life of the congregation that looks like the fruit that Christ bears. And so this congregation is a full-grown congregation. Fourthly, it is stable. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Now, Scripture it points out children as being a very, uh, there are very noble aspects of uh, ch- uh, childlike faith and things like that. There are certain uh, things of aspects of simplicity and whatnot with children. But, but of all the wonderful things, all the wonderful aspects of children, stability is not one of them. That uh, if you have small children, you know that one day they, are, uh, they love mom and dad doesn't exist. And the next day it's flipped around and dad's getting all the hugs and they won't even hardly talk to mom because children are fickle and they're not stable. And so he says here, so that the body ministers to itself in the way that God has designed so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. We're supposed to grow out of that fickleness. 
We're supposed to grow out of that instability of childhood. And God has given us his word and he's given us ministers to teach us his word so that we would become more and more stable in the understanding of his word, more unswerving in understanding what biblical doctrine is, what the Bible actually teaches about who we are and about who God is and how we can know him. A mature church is not swayed from the truth of God's word. It's becoming more and more stable. And finally, you could say that a built-up church is immunized. Look what he says in verse 14. So that we may no longer be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see, there, it's no surprise to anyone. There is false doctrine out there, and there are false teachers out there. And this is one of the things that's... that's um, alarming is too strong a word, but that, that we are very conscious of as elders that we're, we're not able to be with you together because now it's possible that we might become just another internet preacher, another internet source for information, one of many that you have access to so that, uh, the doctrine you get is, there's a variety, there's a bouquet of doctrine out there and you can kind of pick and grab what you want and since you're not seated here with us you might like somebody else better who's a better speaker someone else who's uh, better looking or he doesn't talk for as long or something and you may end up swallowing some kind of doctrine that's destructive and this is one of the difficulties and one of the one of the challenges of our age that there are so many internet preachers and so many great internet preachers and so many internet preachers who sound great and are peddling poison. But a built-up church is immunized from those things. God has given the gift of His Word to us, and then He's given the gift of men to teach us His Word systematically and consistent, consistently to the church, and that grounds the church in the truth of God's Word so that we become immunized to the lies. The elements of Chaos that are at work in the world, the bad doctrine and false teachers and the deception of men, the deception of the enemy, those sorts of things are kept out of the sanctuary, as it were, because of the sturdy roof of the regular and consistent, systematic, faithful teaching of God's Word. That's a protection to the congregation. And then the members of the church are to take that teaching to heart. They are to believe it. They are to live according to it in their own lives. That brings growth and maturity in them. And then we are to minister that to one another so that the whole congregation is growing up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We started out this morning by asking the question, what are we to be concerned about? As a church, there are a few things that we are to aim at. First of all, look at verse 15. We have the goal which is to grow up into Christ. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. What does that mean? Well, he mentions later on in the same chapter, in verse uh, 23 of chapter 4, he says, we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And then coming out of that, we have a list of commands. Be like this, don't be like that. See these changes happen in your life that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And here's what that means. We are to dig deep and grow roots into the gospel itself. That's what Paul's doing in Ephesians. 
what Paul's doing in Romans. He's laying out the gospel for us, and he wants us to have the gospel laid out before us so that we will dwell upon that, so we will think about it, so that we will ruminate on it, so that we will meditate on that. And by doing so, we have our minds changed and we end up putting down deeper and deeper roots into what the gospel is and what the gospel means for us. And the result of that, that is that our minds are renewed, or as he puts it in 423, renewed in the spirit of our minds. As we put down those roots, we bear fruit more and more in keeping with who Christ is. And that growth is the goal. It's the target that we're to aim at. And of course, it's our goal. It's our goal for our lives. We want to become more like Christ. And it's our goal for our congregation. We want our congregation to become more and more like Christ. But the question is, how? How do we do that? How do we grow in those ways? Well, he says at the beginning of verse 15, by speaking the truth in love. By speaking the truth in love. He's not talking here primarily about the fact that we need to be honest with one another in our communication, that uh, we just need to tell each other the truth. That's not what he's focusing on primarily right here, though, of course, that is true. I mean, you can think you don't have to think very far uh, to remind yourself of problems that have been caused because of communicating in in an untrue way with one another, where sometimes we're upset and so we shade the truth a little bit to make ourselves look a little bit better or maybe to make the other person look a little bit worse. We color the truth. We lie. And sometimes we do that in the context of the congregation and that causes problems, right? Or maybe we tell a story, we, we reflect on a story and we probably shouldn't be doing that anyway, but we, we change it to be a certain way so that we look better or it makes our point better or something, and it causes problems in the congregation. We're a family. We have to speak truth to one another. And that is true, but that's not what he's focusing on right here. I think what he's focusing on in this passage is the truth of the gospel. And the reason I think that is because back in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13... He's talking about the word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation. I think what he's talking about here in our need to speak to one another, speaking the truth in love to one another, he's talking about reminding one another in practical ways of the truths of the gospel. What causes the church to mature into its proper stature and strength is a church culture that is built on the gospel of God's redeeming work accomplished on our behalf in Jesus. That's what causes growth. That's what causes maturity is that kind of culture that is built on the gospel. And so what Paul is saying here when he says speaking the truth in love, he's saying that we are to teach and to remind one another of what Christ has done for us. How he came to fulfill the Father's plan to redeem a people, a sinful people, for himself and to do so at the cost of his own life. We need to remind one another of the desperate situation, the hopeless situation that we were in apart from Christ. We had no hope in ourselves. We couldn't accomplish salvation on our own. We couldn't please God. We were in a condition of hopelessness without Him. 
but that Jesus accomplishes redemption on our behalf. That he, by his life and by his death and by his resurrection, accomplishes that, that redemption for us so that we can have peace with God. And then his spirit applies that to us so that now we're reconciled to God. We're, we have relationship with God, not because we're good, but because a good Christ saved us. And so we're to remind one, one another of that again and again in our lives. And just as a point of application, the things that I've been saying, the things we've been talking about this morning are much uh, easier to do when we all get to meet on a Sunday morning, when we all get to be together. And we have time before the service where we get to fellowship, we get to encourage each other. We have time after the service where we get to hang around and do the same thing. And we don't have that right now. We're all kind of mourning the fact that we're separate. We don't get to join all together. And we're looking forward to that day when we do actually get to be together. I saw, I saw, I saw a video of uh, a comedian um, coming into a group of people. Chris Farley. He was, he was a pretty funny guy. But it, what it said was, this is this is pastors when churches finally get to be back together again. He was going down the aisle high fiving everybody and happy to be together and hugging people. And that's what we're going to do when we're finally back together. But right now we're mourning that loss. We don't have that situation. We can't meet in that kind of a context. But our passage here gives us some instruction, gives us some help in, uh, in how we can minister to one another. By the way, we, we are already ministering to one another in the fact that we are calling and finding out people's needs and we're meeting those needs. That's important. We have some people who probably shouldn't be going to Walmart right now because of uh, their age, because of their health, and, and uh, members of the congregation are meeting those needs, and that's a fabulous thing. But there are other needs that we have that we may not even recognize that we need that our passage here is encouraging us to pursue. And that is speaking the truth in love to one another. We can still do that. We can still do that in conversation with one another. It probably will require a phone call. It'll require uh, maybe some text conversation or uh, maybe some face-to-face conversation. But this is where the body, the saints, do the work of ministry to build up the congregation. That the body, the saints, who are not in this room right now, who are gathered around their computer and their phone to watch online, have the opportunity to encourage one another in Christ. To speak the truth to one another in love. To, to find out how this person is doing, not just whether they need more toilet paper, which may be the case, and we probably need to meet that need, and we are, but find out how they really are doing. Are they discouraged? Are they frustrated? Are they feeling hopeless in the, in the, in the face of a pandemic? Are they struggling? Are they wrestling with sin? Are they wrestling with loneliness? And you have the opportunity. We all saints have the opportunity to encourage one another to speak the truth of the gospel to one another in love. And this is an opportunity for us to minister in a way that maybe we don't on a Sunday morning. It's pretty easy on a Sunday morning when we're all together to talk about the things that we like to talk about that aren't always the gospel. We talk about sports or we talk about uh, going camping or we talk about the other things that we might like to do that we have in common because we love each other and we like to talk about those things. But we have opportunity in, in this situation to be intentional about speaking to one another the truth of the gospel in love. If this person is struggling with with feeling alone, they need to know that they are not alone in Christ. That 
the Lord is right there with them, that actually his spirit lives within them because of what Christ has done, that 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 person who is feeling alone is actually united to the God of the universe in Christ. This person who's struggling with sin needs to know that sin has been paid for in Christ. God has no more wrath for you if you are in Christ. That sin has been paid for and you have righteousness before God because of what Christ has done. That Christ's righteousness applies to you so that you stand before God righteous because you are clothed in Christ. And you need to encourage that person struggling with sin that God, because of all of that, has put his Holy Spirit to live within them to help them in overcoming that sin. That they don't have to walk in that anymore. As their minds are changed, as Christ is lifted up greater and greater in their minds and they love him more and they love what he has done more and more, they pursue him more and more. And they don't want that old sin anymore. They want Christ because he is more lovely. And you have the opportunity to be the one to minister that to them, to encourage them with that. So we need to speak the truth to one another in love. We need to remind one another that our eternity is secure in Christ. We need to remind one another we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Our sins are forgiven in Christ. We have hope in Christ and in Christ alone. God couldn't love us any more than he already does in Christ. Encourage one another in these ways. Call people. Seek out opportunity to speak these truths of the gospel to one another in love. And in this way, the members will be functioning properly. Look what he says in verse 16. From from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. He's going to finish that sentence and talk about the body building itself up. But what I want to focus on right here is there are many members, many different parts of the body that function and do different things. They have their own role and they speak the truth to one another in a, in a different way and to a different set of people than every other one of us does. I have my relationships and I have the ways that I speak the truths of the gospel to people and you have different relationships and you have different ways of communicating the same truth. You have a different circle of friends. You have different relationships with people that give you different opportunities so that as we are functioning in this way, as each of us is ministering to one another, having been equipped from the teaching of God's word, having been motivated by our love for Christ and having been Uh, given this opportunity to function as we ought to, we get to minister to one another in a way that causes growth in the body. And that's how he finishes it. So that the whole body makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I, I want us to keep in mind as we think about our time right now where we're separated from one another and think about this passage right here, that the main work of ministry is not hindered because I'm speaking through a camera. The main work of ministry is when we, the saints, minister to other saints to encourage each other, to exhort each other, to point one another to Christ, to speak the truth to one another in love. And the result of us doing that is each of the individual members does that within their own sphere, the relationships that they have. As they do that, the body grows. It actually makes itself grow so that it grows stronger. 
So the result might be, after this time of us being separated, and we don't know how long that will be, but when we finally do get to come back together and high-five each other coming down the aisle because we finally are uh, joined together again, the body will actually be stronger because the ministers, the saints, have been doing the work of ministry all along. So that it actually might have an enduring benefit of us being called upon as the saints to do that work of ministry in the congregation. Jesus has very lovingly given his body, the church, all the things that it needs to grow. Whether times are good or whether times are bad, the Lord has put in place in his design for the church all the things that the church needs to grow. He's given us his word. He's given us his word ministers who take that Bible and teach it to us and teach it how it applies in our lives. And he has given us as saints the opportunity and now the equipment to go and do the work of ministry. To be able to minister to one another and strengthen one another. And in that way, in this way that God has designed for the church to function, the church actually builds itself up. So that it grows stronger. It becomes more and more mature. It looks more and more like Christ. More and more stable. Bearing more and more fruit for Christ. Fruit that looks like the fruit of Christ. And so I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged as I read this passage and I think about the situation we're in, the context that we're in. That God loves us so much. That he has given us such gifting. He has equipped us even in this situation to be able to function and grow and even thrive at a time when we can't be together face to face like we really want to be. And so my concluding exhortation for all of us is that we would do that ministry, that we would do the ministry in the congregation, the work of service to one another as the saints that God has prepared to do so. And so I look forward to getting to run down the aisle and high-five and give people hugs. And, and uh, I don't usually run down the aisles, but I may on that day. I don't know. <laughs> but it'll be an encouragement to be together. And my desire is that when we do get to come back together, that we will see a greater strengthening because we have all been encouraged in our own walk and in our own life to love Christ more that we have seen him lifted higher and higher, not just in the teaching of God's word, but also in the ministry of the saints to lift Jesus up, that we would love him more at the end of this time than we did in the beginning. Let's pray. Father, we, we are amazed at your generosity towards us what you have given us in giving us your word that has endured and will always endure. Your word which speaks truth, truth about the most important things in the world, who you are and who we are and how we can know you. And you have given us the gifts of those who teach the Bible to us, whose job it is, whose life calling it is to understand what your word says, to understand what your word says about Christ and to teach us. Father, you are so generous. And we thank you for your work in the church. We thank you for your gifts to the body of Christ. 
And our prayer is that you would use us as the saints who have been equipped from the teaching of your word to go and take this truth and speak it to one another in love. That we would encourage one another to look to Christ. That we would encourage one another to look to this hope we have in Christ because of the gospel. To encourage one another to rejoice in the peace that we have with God because of Christ. I pray that you would bless each of us. That you would give us opportunity to minister to those around us. That you would encourage us to go and do that and convict us when we, when we struggle to do that and empower us when we, when we do it. Pray that you would be at work to build your church, to glorify yourself, even at a time when it seems like that would be extra difficult. We know with you all things are possible. So, Father, we rejoice in knowing you. We rejoice in having peace with you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to uh, read a verse to us in a moment, but if you would like prayer, we have a family that's uh, on call ready to uh, take your calls and, and pray for you, and that would be Chris and Maria Ward. Probably you have their number. If you don't, it's in the church directory, or you can call the church and get that. But they would love to pray with you. They would love to hear from you and hear how you're doing. This is what Paul says on this topic from Colossians chapter 3. And this is our exhortation as we leave. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen and amen. Thank you.